So this morning, I, I want to preach a sermon that is somewhat in dialogue with what Adrian preached last week about Jeremiah's visit to the potter's house. The primary image in our text this morning is also an image of pottery, a very different kind of image of pottery. And we need to remember that the prophet's oracles were printed up or rather inscribed in edited books by someone in, in Jeremiah's case, that was probably his stenographer named Baruch, who put his oracles together and organized them in a, in a particular way. And so it's not unintentional that these two passages are side by side. The, the depiction of Jeremiah in the potter's house in chapter 18, and then this sermon that he preaches in, in chapter 19, they fit together quite well because the passage in 18 is about wet clay that is reshapable when, as Adrian shared with us, it can go sideways, even though it's in the potter's hands, as opposed to today of what happens to the finished product, a fired, finished vessel, when it goes bad and becomes useless. The one obviously a very gracious and loving image, the other a harsh image, and we'll see that as I read the text. It's the kind of passage where at the end of the reading, when the reader says, this is the word of the Lord, again to quote Adrian, we might want to respond, well, if you say so, <laughs> instead of thanks be to God. But it is a passage nevertheless that we need to read. It's an example of what I have mentioned more than once also in Jeremiah's life as a prophet and really in the life of, of every prophet, and that is that prophets occupy a space in between. They are seeking to be in relationship with God and to communicate God's message to God's people. And sometimes those two things pull at them in two different directions and create the dynamic of prophets feeling very alone. And we certainly read about Jeremiah's feeling. And in some ways, he is using that phrase that I've used as the title that's at the beginning of the text that I'm going to read today, give heed to me, O Lord. In some ways, that is both Jeremiah's prayer to God and Jeremiah's communication from God to his people. It is both prayer and sermon, the admonition that God would listen to him and the admonition to his people, to God's people, that they would listen to God. And so let's look at that together, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 18 and continuing on to the end of chapter 19. Then they said, this is the people, the people said, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For instruction shall not perish from the priests, nor counsel from the wise, nor word from the prophet. In other words, Jeremiah is not seen as any one of those things, but just as an obstruction to what the official priests and prophets and wise people are saying, the, the establishment, the religious establishment. So come, let us bring charges against Jeremiah, and let us not heed any of his words. And then Jeremiah prays. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to what my adversaries say. Is evil a recompense for good? 
yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, give their children over to famine. Hurl them out to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence, their youths be slain by the sword in battle. I would say Jeremiah is a little angry. <laughs> May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the marauder suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to catch me and laid snares for my feet. Yet you know, O Lord, you know all their plotting to kill me. Do not forgive their iniquity. Do not blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be tripped up before you. Deal with them while you are angry. Thus says the Lord, go and buy a potter's earthenware jug. Take with you some of the elders and the people and some of the senior priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. For thus says the Lord, the, ho the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I'm going to bring such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it enter my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topeth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but it shall be called the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, and I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified, and I will hiss because of all its disasters. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and all shall eat the flesh of their neighbors in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. It's almost over. <laughs> then you shall break the jug in the sight of those who go with you and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. In Topeth they shall bury until there is no more room to bury. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topeth. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Topeth, all the houses upon whose roofs Offerings have been made to the whole host of heaven, and libations have been poured out to other gods. When Jeremiah came from Topeth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I am now bringing upon this city and upon all its towns 
all the disaster that I have pronounced against it because they have stiffened their necks, refusing to hear my words. Let's pray. Lord God, some of the ancient words are hard words. Words of alienation, words of disconnection, but words still that long for and hope in the ultimate hope of reconciliation. So help us to hear these words as a caution, but also as an invitation to take up that place for which you have created us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my own uh, story of pottery and pottery making, Adrian gave us hers uh, last week, but it's, it's a little less significant and knowledgeable than hers. But over the two years of the COVID sequestration during our vacation, we would go to Orcas Island on vacation. We took two trips there during those two years. And uh, we always made it a point to stop by a place on Orcas Island called the Orcas Island Pottery Company, which is a, a lovely place. It's like this, I mean, who knows? I don't know anything about its history. I don't know anything, but you have the kind of the feel that a a group of hippies founded it, and, uh, and it's just this lovely place of creation now for pottery. And so you go there, and there's, there's all sorts of wonderful pieces that have been created by the, the, the people who work there, the artists who throw on those wheels. It's a gorgeous place, and you get to watch beautiful things be made. And, and we've bought more than our share of things there, and one of them was this mug. Uh, it's a lovely mug. You can look at it afterwards. It's, it's absolutely, I love it. I mean, it's the right size. It has the right feel. It's glazed beautifully, and it's just a phenomenal mug. I, I've loved it dearly. But not too long ago, when I would pick it up from the table, there would be a wet spot underneath it. And uh, with, with increased use and dishwashing and all sorts of things, that wet spot just began to increase. The mug has developed a leak. And so it has made its way out to a shed in our backyard uh, where we keep a lot of pottery that has broken in the hopes of someday creating a mosaic or something. I think there's about 20 years of pottery out there. Um, and no mosaic yet has been made. We've used some of it on sort of cement step stones and things like that. But that's where this mug now resides. And I can't bring myself to do with it what Jeremiah did with it until I have a purpose for it. But it is virtually a beautiful and yet useless piece of pottery. It has failed now to do what it was intended and created to do. So it's no longer in our cupboard. It's now in our pot shard pile in our shed. And that leads me to our text. When Jeremiah is given the invitation by God to go and preach to his people, he says, take some of the priests and the senior, the senior priests and the elders and, and some of the religious aristocracy and make sure you leave the city through a particular gate on the southeastern part of the city, the Potshard Gate. And what Adrian helped us to understand last time and what anybody who's ever read a pottery article in a Bible dictionary, you know that pottery was very important in biblical times. It, it was a, a central thing. In fact, it was even a form of scratch paper uh, where notes would be written on pot shards. Uh, 
but pottery was something that they had an abundance of, that they used quite regularly, and so therefore broke quite frequently. And you had to find a place to dispense of all of the pot shards, and there was literally a place right outside the city gates, the pot shard gate, where all of this went. And so, so God says, Jeremiah, take them on a little field trip. Take them out the pot shard gate and you know, Jeremiah is sort of a performance artist, too. You know, we, we think performance art is a new thing. Jeremiah was the quintessential ancient before Christ performance artist. He, if you read this book, you will see all sorts of things, outlandish things that he does. You know, in, in the next passage, we see him buying a field that is virtually worthless when he buys it. We see him burying a piece of underwear and letting it rot and then holding it up to the people. There are just all sorts of interesting things that Jeremiah does. It's one of the reasons why he wasn't very well liked in his day, um, because he didn't mince words, as we saw in our passage today. But God tells him, Jeremiah, take them out through the potsherd gate. Take this nice vessel that is fired and to be used Go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, the son of Hinnom, which is a valley just uh, beyond the southeast gate, a rich, fertile agricultural valley, lots of olive trees apparently planted there, but also a place of bad memories, and Jeremiah mentions those as well. One of the things that's true about the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament is that it was very hard for them to believe as it was hard for our parents in the garden to believe that God had their best in mind. And so they went after other gods who demanded certain things of them in order to try and get things like fertile crops or wealth. And one of those gods that came from Canaanite tradition was called Molech. Molech uh, had a particular taste for sacrificed children. Yes, sacrificed children who would then be burned in cremation fires after they were sacrificed. An ugly, ugly, idolatrous, pagan practice. You know, in some ways, the story of Abraham and Isaac is the story of the reversal of that, where Abraham's faith is invited to change to a new place, where God says, no, I'm not about you offering your children. That's not what I need from you, Abraham, so don't put the knife in. It's a radical, as Earl Palmer used to say, a radical redefinition of Abraham's faith takes place at that point. But this is one of the things that happened in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom were these sacrifices and they were continuing to happen. It doesn't say specifically what that looked like in Jeremiah's day, uh, but they, they had continued to happen. And so Jeremiah is invited to go out to this place and pronounce God's judgment against this practice. And I just want to reread verses 3 through 7 for you because this is an important part of, of Jeremiah's message that he delivers from God. He says, Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their ancestors nor kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the places of in fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it enter even, even enter my mind. This is what God says. Where did they get that idea? Not from me. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall be no more called Topeth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and of Jerusalem, and will make them fall by the sword, 
before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life, I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth. Babylon was going to come in and destroy Jerusalem. It happened not long after this prediction, and it was a slaughter, and many people were taken into exile at that time. And I love the phrase in here that says, I will make void their plans, because this will not be the first time that we hear Jeremiah talking about plans. It's as if in the later text, which we'll look at in subsequent weeks, next week as a matter of fact, <laughs> in the later text where God says to his people, I know the plans I have for you. In this text, God says, the plans that you have for yourself and the way you've tried to work things out, how are they working for you? Well, they're not. And so those are going to be squelched. And we'll look at that in Jeremiah 29 next week. But it's at this point that the performance art takes place and Jeremiah smashes that vessel, adds it to the, uh, to the pile of pot shards and that, that smashed jug and, and he lets them know that all of these things are about to happen to them, that ultimately his message is destruction breeds destruction. You know, I'm sure that I've quoted a line that I want to quote again in previous sermons, and it's from a, a Benedictine monk who was very, had a very profound impact in my life. His name was Father Gregory Elmer. And I remember hearing him say in one of the talks that he gave that I, that I listened to, his ministry played a, a very important role in my life, especially in the early years of, of my ministry, kind of helped to shape some things for me. But he, in this particular talk, he said, you know, I think that when we get to heaven, God will ask us the question that God has been asking human beings since the beginning of creation. And that is the question, what do you want? Simple question, what do you want? Do you want something that fosters life? or something that, that actually takes life from you in a way that you don't anticipate it doing? Do you want to be in that groove for which you were created or do you want to try and plow your own path? It's kind of like Paul's words in the first chapter of Romans where he speaks of the way in which God gives us over to certain things that, are, that do not profit, that are not beneficial for us. And basically what God's word to us is from Genesis 1 on is you can have what you go after. And that's pretty much what Jeremiah is saying as well. You can have what you go after, so consider well what it is that you pursue. I have a, an acquaintance who I used to swim with. This was years ago that this happened, but he, he went through um, an, a very ugly, messy divorce. And I, I was talking to him in the, the wake of that divorce. And part of the circumstances that created the mess were an extramarital affair that he chose to be a part of that, you know, as is always the case, was something that was indicative of other things that had been going wrong prior to that. But as he talked about his life as it currently existed and enduring the mess of the wake of that destruction with his ex-wife and with his children, 
He said to me half, with a sort of a half smile on his face and almost half jokingly, but poignantly honest. He said, you know, I wish I would have bought the BMW. And maybe that makes no sense to you, but one of the things that men often do is kind of make that choice between fast cars and an affair <laughs> at that moment of, of midlife crisis. And, and so we both kind of laughed and yet, like I said, it was this poignant moment where he was saying, you know, I wish I'd bought the less destructive of the things that, that don't really profit. I wish I'd bought that BMW. That might have been enough rather than to have an affair. There's a, a kind of insight and generativity that are born of destruction. When things are reduced to rubble, we begin to ask ourselves questions that sometimes we won't ask ourselves until that happens. We can have what we go after and quite frankly, we become what we pursue. And that goes back to that first sermon that Jeremiah preaches in chapter two, where he so succinctly defines God's primary beef with his people. He says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've forsaken a source of proven life and tried to catch their own sources of life in cracked cisterns that can't really hold them. Jeremiah goes on to say that they've given up their glory, their substance, the depth and the, the heaviness of glory for something that does not profit. What's important to say at this point is that it's not as if what God wants for us is something that feels punitive and restrictive, that we have to choose to follow with a sort of grunt of, of satisfaction, mimicking some sort of hopefulness because we're going to get into heaven. That's not what God's invitation is to us. It's not as if we have to sacrifice our children in order to get God's favor or satisfy our desires for abundance. That's not what God's intention is. It seems to me that what God wants for us is pretty much what we want for ourselves if we sit back and think about it long enough. And another prophet tells us in very wonderful terms what this is when he says this with what shall I come before the Lord this is Micah and bow myself before God on high shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands of rivers of oil Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you 
but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord, remind us of that simple truth that you made us for relationship with you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with you. Remind us of that simple truth, that relaxing into that truth is where we find our glory and where we find that satisfaction of your fountain of living water. So disconnect us from those fruitless searches and redirect our attention to true abundance, we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.